have it on the screen as well. Sorry, that was off. Um, First Samuel 17, uh, I will have it on the screen, but if you want to turn there in your Bibles, you can. We're going to be looking today at at David, uh, because in Acts, uh, the author of Acts uh, called David the man after God's own heart. And so we're going to look at a few passages today that, uh, that examine that, like what made David a man after God's own heart. And it, and it definitely wasn't because he was a perfect man. He was not. Uh, David was a very violent person. He was, he was in many battles and killed many people. He, um, he, he went after many women and had many women in his life. Uh, he spoiled his children who... Uh, if, you read, if you read about his kids trying to take over the kingdom, it is a gong show, and there's just a, lot, a big mess in his family. So he was a horrible father. Um, but, but, in spite of all of that, David was called a, a man after God's own heart. And so we're going to look at uh, actually three passages today about, about David and try to examine what it is. That God sees in David's heart, David's heart that makes it like his own. So, first we're going to look at uh, the story of David and Goliath and um, the heart of the man. That's the name of the sermon. So, we're going to look at at, at David and Goliath. This is probably a story that you have heard before and and you are familiar with it. But let's, uh, let's just read. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was clothed with scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. He also had bronze greaves on his legs and bronze javelins slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the head of his spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. His shield carrier also walked with him. So first, uh, just, I'm going to geek out on you a little bit here, and that's, that's okay, because I have the microphone. Um, I just want to point out a few things about Goliath that are, are actually quite interesting uh, when, you, when you dig into it. And so, uh, it says he's wearing scale armor, and in the Jewish mindset, to, to the Hebrew listeners of, of, these, of these passages, readers of these passages, Scales are something that a snake has. Okay? And then, and then when you actually read this in, in the Hebrew writing, all of, all of Goliath's measurements for his armor are, are sixes. And so this is a, a man who is like a snake, and his measurements are six, six, six. Does that make me think of anybody? Just wonder. Yeah. So, so what happens here is the, the, when, when, when the Jewish writers were writing, they were, they were really crafty. They didn't just tell you one story. They were often telling you a story, and then there was a deeper meaning underneath it. And so here uh, was a man who was dressed like a snake, and his number was 666, and he was defying God. He, he, was, saying, he was saying to the people in, in, in God's... Um, God's army. Well, we haven't gotten there yet. Um, that's not too far. Too far. Too far. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> the armor bearer walked before him. 
And anyway, uh, he, he, he came out and he said, uh, he said this in verse 10, he said, uh, I defy the ranks of Israel this day, which means he's, he's, talk, he's talking about God. He's, he's putting God down. He's actually defying, uh, he doesn't believe that God is the one true God. He believes that God is just another God out there that these people are worshiping. And when he says that he believes that his God is better than Israel's God. And so um, Goliath comes out as a, as a giant. I mean, he was actually nine feet tall. So very tall man. Um, dressed as a snake. Uh, numbers are 666 and he's defying God. And so this, this man is evil. Uh, is basically what these Jewish writers were trying to get at. Uh, they, they wanted you to know that, that not only was this an army, but this was an evil person. And, and so David walks in um, as, as a shepherd boy, uh, a young boy still, he's not quite a man. Uh, his father had sent him with lunches for his brothers to check on them and to produce some food because they were all over the home. David was a home tending sheep. So then David shows up and, and he hears this evil person talking down about God and God's people. And, uh, and it says, Then David spoke to the men who were standing by and saying, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. So Goliath is evil, and he is defying God, and David doesn't like this. Uh, and so David has to do something. He will not let this evil man speak negatively of God, of, God, of his God uh, and his people while the king and his army stand there and do nothing about it. So this young shepherd boy walks in, delivering lunch to his brothers, and he just can't stand it. All, that's, all, all of this is happening, and no one is doing anything about it, and he has to do something about it. So he grabs some rocks, and he walks in and takes on Goliath. And we know the rest of that story. But there is something in David's heart that's, something that's, that's primitive, uh, and that says, get me into this battle. He understands that this is between good and evil, and he wants in. He has to be a part of it. His heart cannot stand to be on the sidelines. Um, so, so this is David. This is the, the person that we're talking about. So now we're going to go to Ephesians um, 6, 10 to 12, which is already up there. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put the full armor of God on so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the powers of this world, forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So the writer is telling us that it is the in that we live in a world that is at war. Much like David walked in on a battle, we every day are facing a battle that is in front of us, although it's not a battle of, of skin and bones, of, of flesh and blood. It is a battle of good and evil. 
And it's the same battle that you and I face every day within ourselves, that, that we, have, we have good thoughts and we have bad thoughts and we have good desires and we have bad desires. And that ultimately, this battle is not about flesh and blood, clothes and gas, uh, food or mortgage. This, the real battle that we face in life are, itch, are issues of spiritual... Our spiritual issues... And it is, it is the devil, and it is God, and it is good, and it is evil, and it is profoundly central to what it means to be human. To understand what, that we are all born into a world that is at war. How many of you know of a marriage that has fallen apart in the last six months? How many of you know somebody who struggles with, with self-worth or, or depression or deep depression? Or how many of you know a, a kid who is being bullied? How many of you have friends that struggle with destructive paths? They're always getting themselves into trouble. There is a profound battle going on. How many of you know someone who has been abused? There is a battle, and abuse is evil. We are born into a world that is at war, and we are living in the midst of a massive conflict that is far deeper and more profound than just two people not getting along. So in Romans 12, 14 to 21, we read... Too far. Can you go back one second? I'm just going to let you flip them for me, okay? So when I call the reference, the reference is always going to be at the bottom, on the right. When I call out that reference, you put it up. Got it? Deal? Sweet. It's better than everybody getting drunk on the shots they have to take. All right. <laughs> Romans 12, 14 to 21. It says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation, never pay back evil to anyone. Respond or respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God for it is written, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will keep burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's a lot in there. So he's talking about, uh, essentially, in, in all of those verses, the heart of the matter there is that uh, evil, when repaid with evil, only brings more evil. So if somebody does something bad to you, if somebody is, is, is bullying you or is, is, is talking down to you, when you take revenge on them by doing the same thing, they, get, they make you angry, you make them angry, they make you angry, you make them angry, and it only escalates. But the last verse, verse 21, says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so the writers understood that there is a war, and we 
get to be involved, or we can be involved in it. And the scripture assumes that if you have God's power flowing through you, then that power can actually change the world. That, that, that you can actually overcome the evil in this world by doing good things. Philippians 2. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault and of warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Many of you probably don't remember, but I actually used this verse in my la- the last sermon that I, that I spoke. And, um, and, and it's applicable here as well, that uh, there is a world at war and each of us has a crucial role to play. And maybe that's why some people get so mad when they get stuck behind some moron who's going 50 in a 70. That, that's me, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's why, um, maybe that's what's behind his road rage, is that he was created for the battle to overcome evil with good, to shine among them like stars in the sky, but he's not in it. He's not in the battle. And so he's making battles out of things that aren't, or aren't really the real battle. So what happens when you, when you miss that, that, when you miss that there's a cosmic struggle and that each of us has a role to play, to shine among them like stars, what happens when you are sitting on the sidelines and not a part of, of, a part of it is we make battles out of things that aren't battles and, and we... Our anger is always at the surface. And, and, and there's general anger or frustration in life uh, that life isn't turning out how we wanted it. Or that we, we were created to be deep in this battle between good and evil and we're not in it. So we get frustrated because we know that there's something more and we're not a part of it. And maybe we don't know exactly what it is, but, but maybe, maybe that's why. And I work with a guy and I asked him one time, because I mean, he, he's a, he's He's an interesting guy. He grew up in St. Vincent, which is in the Caribbean. And, uh, and he moved to uh, Montreal because he spoke French already. And then he found a job out here and he moved out here and it didn't pan out. And he ended up working with us. Um, and he used to he used to hunt all the time, these wild animals that were on the islands. And he used to actually uh, go whale hunting as well. They were allowed in these islands to, to hunt whales and they were allowed to get so much. Uh, there's so many a year as an island. They could put these many in. And so he would also die. He would scuba die. He, he loved all of that. And now he lives in Edmonton where uh, he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't know how to hunt deer. <laughs> he knows how to hunt these other animals that were on his, his island that you would chase with nets. <laughs> and, um, and he doesn't have any place to go scuba diving anymore. Um, and, and so I asked him, so what do you do for fun now? And he says, I sleep. <laughs> so, so he has a day off, and he basically, he sleeps the whole day. <laughs> and then, I, I'm sure my boys are, are like all boys out there, but if they were given the chance, Simon, 
If you could play video games all day, would you do it? Yes. <laughs> right? And, and, and this is something that, that, that is very common in the world that we live in. And sleep isn't a bad thing, and video games aren't necessarily a bad thing. But when these young men who were created to be warriors, they were created to do something big, and, and, and they aren't doing it. They're, they're, they're setting this kind of surrogate battles, if, if you will. And so these video games become their battles, and, um, and they don't have any connection with the real battles whatsoever. So, so there's nothing happening, well, sorry, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with having ways to release tension and refresh yourself. Yes, it's good to sleep. You need to sleep. <laughs> we don't like it when you don't sleep. Yes, you need to work. It's good for you to work. But you can't spend all of your time working. You also need to refresh. And so it's good. It's okay to play video games. It's okay to sleep. And it's okay to shop. And it's okay to whatever it is you do. And you need to find those things for yourself. However, it can't become bigger than it was meant to be. And it can't replace the battles that we were called to be part of. And especially... It, it, it can't take over our lives and keep us on the sidelines of what God really wants us to be doing. Because um, when it does that, then, then it becomes a problem. We, as a church, have done Operation Christmas Child. Is there anybody who doesn't know what that is? Right. It's a big enough thing now. And, and you, you get these shoe boxes at Christmas and you put a bunch of goodies in it and then you send them off and then kids in countries that don't have... A, a lot of money who don't get a lot of stuff, they get Christmas presents. And it's good. It's good that we do that. And, and, but do you know how it all started? Somebody out there said, there are kids in the world who are getting nothing for Christmas. And that is not okay. And so they came up with a way for these kids to get something. She was not okay with sitting on the side or he, whoever it was. I don't know who, who started Operation Christmas shoebox. But this person was not okay with, with the evil of kids getting nothing. She couldn't, or he couldn't stand by and, and, and just let that happen anymore. And like David, who saw Goliath come in and, and taunted God of God's army, this person had to get and so David picked up stones, and this, this person picked up shoeboxes. And what we learn in the scriptures is that the battle is not someplace else. The battle is right in front of each of us. We don't have to go somewhere else to look for it. It is, it is right in front of us. It's an open struggle that is right here, right now. And when we I think this is why he says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, because behind everything is a massive struggle of, of spiritual proportions. And so your friend or co-worker who is down and struggling and under attack, uh, or who is down and struggling with life, is under attack because the devil wants to have it. Um, and though you are, and, and, and you, through just one word or through one gesture, could make all the difference in the person's life. 
You don't have to leave what you do and you find battle. It's, it's asking God to open your eyes to the battle that's happening right in front of you every day. And asking God to show you where you need to get up off the bench and get involved. Because when you're not involved in it, life becomes numb and life becomes complacent. You were created for more than just sleep or TV or video games or whatever is pulling you away from that. You were created to change the world, to overcome evil, to shine like stars. And so you need to find what, what is your battle. David saw the battle and he couldn't stand on the sidelines and watch. He had to do something about it. And now we're going to look at another passage about David. And um, so here we have, uh, it's a passage about, about David and, and Jonathan. And David, um, after he defeated Goliath, um, became well-known in Israel. And, and Saul, the king, uh, started to become paranoid about David taking over the throne, which he was going to do. So maybe it wasn't paranoia. Maybe it was... Whatever, but so Saul actually started going after David to kill David. And David was best friends with King Saul's son, Jonathan, who was the actual like heir to the throne. If God hadn't stepped in and intervened and said, I don't like the way that Saul is going, David is going to be the next king. Uh, Saul didn't like it. Jonathan didn't mind. Jonathan and David were best friends. David found out that Saul was trying to kill him, and, and actually it became dangerous for David to even be around Jonathan. So uh, they set up a secret meeting uh, with all kinds of like code signs, and if you read the story, it's a little bit like a spy mob. Um, and what ends up happening is uh, David and Jonathan get together, and, and they have to say goodbye to each other. We uh, and in the Middle East, uh, when, when they said goodbye, when you said goodbye to somebody who was really important to you, uh, you, would, you would kiss them on the cheek, and then on the other cheek, and then back to the other cheek. So, David and Jonathan are saying goodbye. David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. And they kissed each other and wept together. And notice this, David wept the most. David and Jonathan were weeping, but the writer adds that David wept the most. The writer wants you to know that David, in this moment, is profoundly affected by this moment. He, this moment pulls out of David a, a deep expression. He, he weeps the most. And now we're going to look at Second uh, Samuel six eleven. So these are the, the other two passages about David that we can't decide to lie. Uh, and this is the opposite end of the spectrum from weeping. Um, there's a box. It's called the Ark of the Covenant. It has the Ten Commandments in it, and it has some other things in it. And it's it's supposed to be a symbol of God's favor and His presence. Uh, and it's been taken into battle, and it's been taken away in battle to another country, and it's come back, and it's gone here and there. It's kind of made its way around, um, and it ends up in in the house of Obadiah. It's a fun name to say. Let's all say Obadiah. 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 
Very pleasant to know you. So, while it is in the house of Obedim, uh, Obedim prospers. I'm, I'm going to keep saying Obedim. Uh, he, he, it's like having God in the living room makes things really, really good for you. It does. So now David um, is, is going to bring it back into uh, the city of David. So 2 Samuel 6.11, which we are at, and it says, The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obedim, uh, the Gittite for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Obedim and everything that he has because of the ark of God. So David went up to bring the ark of God from the house of Obedim to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. While he and Israel were bringing, he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. This procession was off the hook. <laughs> there was a band marching along playing music. It was a huge party, a moving festival, uh, uh, like almost like a parade, but bigger. If you think bigger. Uh, they're carrying the ark of the Lord, and, and every time they take six, six steps, they stop. They sit down, they sacrifice, make sacrifices to God, play music, sing, and dance, take six more steps, stop, put down the ark of the Lord, play music, sacrifices, big party, celebrate with the Lord, and with six more steps, and you get the picture. Every six steps, giant, giant party. And when you go a couple of miles, <laughs> this could take a little while. But what, 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 one of the things that, the, that the, the author of this text wants you to know is that while this is a giant party, while all of this was happening, everybody was excited, David, wearing a linen ephod, was dancing before the Lord with all of his might. Now, a linen ephod was something between a bathrobe and spandex. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It was not something that he generally wore in public, um, but it was loose and it was enough for him to dance. And so David is out there with all of his might, the joy of this moment of God's presence returning to Israel is so moving that he gets down to his ephod. He starts dancing before the Lord with all his might, before all of Israel, it says. All of Israel was bringing this in. All the house of Israel, everybody was there. And David danced the hardest. <laughs> the thing you notice is not that there's a bunch of people having a party. What you notice is there's a man in his undies dancing. David danced the hardest. As the, as the ark of the Lord was, uh, is this up there? Uh, can we look at the next slide? Yes. As the ark of the Lord was entered the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. First thing I want you to notice about Michael is that she is watching from a window. She is not part of the celebration. So it says in the last passage, it says all of Israel was there. Apparently except Michael. Who was watching from the window? 
All of Israel was suffering. All of Israel was excited that this ark was coming in. But when Michael saw her husband dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Because people who are free are despised by people who are not. So we see David uh, part ways with Jonathan and David wept the most. And we see David bringing in the ark of the Lord and David danced the most. And David understands that there are moments in time that once they are gone, they are gone. You don't get them back. So when Jonathan leaves, he weeps the most. And when the ark is brought back, it is a moment of time that, 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 that he must celebrate. So he dances the most. And, and if you notice, David saying goodbye to Jonathan was the evil. Like it was because of evil that he had to say goodbye. Because someone was trying to kill him. And so he wept because in that moment, evil was winning. And if you notice, when the Ark of the Lord is returning into Jerusalem, in, in, into, into Israel, God's presence is being brought back to his people, this is a moment when what is winning? When good is winning. And so when evil is winning, David is affected by it and he weeps for it. And when good is winning, he's affected by it. And he celebrates and he rejoices. And he doesn't just do it half-heartedly. He does it the most of anybody around him. He cries the most. He dances the most. He understands that the moment in time when he lives, where he lives, and what's happening now is important. <laughs> One of the things we do on Sunday mornings, we did it this morning, actually. One of the things we do is we start off with two kids songs. We always do it. And you know why we do it? We do it because we believe that children are important, that God loves them, and we believe that they should be a part of this service. They need to be involved. And so we do kids songs because they're fun. <laughs> and, and kids like them. And you don't always get to see what I get to see, but sometimes up here in the front two rows, we have a cage match happening when we do I Will Not Be Shaken. And do you know where there is a cage match not happening on Sunday mornings when we do I Will Not Be Shaken? Everywhere but these front two rows. <laughs> we sing these songs and we have these actions and, 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 and always in here it's lively and it's bright. Like we do um, <laughs> we now this one, this one goes throughout congregation. It's funny that you mentioned it because this was already, I had it written down. But when we do I've Got a River of Life, there is a war going on in this church. There is a battle happening and it is over the whooshes and the tidalways. <laughs> so sometimes we're we're hop, hop, hopping up to Jesus. And sometimes we're letting our light shine. 
And you know where the light always shines the brightest in this church when we're letting our light shine? It's front two rows. <laughs> Kids are, are more free. As, as we get older, we become less enthusiastic about things. We try to play it cool. Maybe we even hide our lights under a bushel. No. But a heart like God's is a heart like David's. It's free. It dances the most. It weeps the most. It, it sees the sacredness of a moment in response to it. And when your heart starts to become alive, you understand the profound holiness of certain moments in it, and it has to act. It has to do something because if you miss them, they're gone. And they're gone for good. That opportunity doesn't present itself. And the more opportunities you miss, the more your heart starts to break down. And instead of being free, your heart, your heart starts to flatline. And you start to worry about what other people think of you. And you start to become paranoid that people are talking about you. And you start, your heart starts to die. And, the, and you, you start to worry that if they see you dancing the most or crying the most, they will despise you. Like mine. So I heard a joke. <laughs> Every day, okay, when I'm in when I'm in Lloydminster working, we. Uh, this, this time we were staying at the BCMI and, and we would eat breakfast at the BCMI and their restaurant is called Rusty's and they have, uh, they're always playing country music on the, on the, uh, the speakers while we're eating and every day this country station plays Jimmy the Janitor and <laughs> he, you guys know who Jimmy the Janitor is? He's, he's, he's definitely from the East Coast and He's got that thick accent, and he tells these jokes, and, and they're family friendly. And so sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. And this one actually fit in. I was sitting there on Wednesday, and, and he told this joke, and I was like, this works a lot. So I'm going to tell a Jimmy the Janitor joke. So, <laughs> he, he, he tells the story, like, he, all, this, all of his jokes are about his family. And I don't know how real his family is, but his grandma was a sweet old lady, and uh, and she loved God with all of her heart. And, and she would sit on the front porch, and it got to the point where when anything good happened in front of her or around her, she would yell out, "Praise the Lord!" for everybody to hear, because she, she wanted them all to hear. And so. One of her neighbors was an atheist, and he started to be annoyed, and he started to shout back, There ain't no Lord! So one day, her neighbor got fed up, and he was determined to prove to the older lady uh, as, as he, uh, that, 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 that there was no God. And so he went out, and he bought her some groceries, and put, her on, put them on her doorstep, rang the doorbell, and hit the bushes. When she opened the door, she, yelled, she saw the groceries, and she yelled out, Praise the Lord! And he jumps up in the bushes and says, Ha! I got you! I bought you those groceries! There ain't no Lord! And she just looked at him with disgust 
rolled her eyes, and yelled out again, Praise the Lord! Not only did he buy me groceries, but he made the devil pay for it. (laughs) (laughs) There will always be Michaels in the window whose hearts are turned hard and despise you. There always be Michael's in the whose hearts are kind of hard and despise you. But what they really despise is that your heart is coming alive. In there. So it's not just being aware of moments, of seeing moments, but you have to take action. David saw an evil man defying God and the army of Israel doing nothing to stand up with their God, so he had to pick up some arms. David saw the Ark of the Covenant, a symbol of God's presence, coming back into the kingdom of Israel. And he had to do something. He had to celebrate. He had to dance. David saw evil winning and separated him from his best friend, and he had to cry and weep. I just want to look at a couple more things, and then we'll be done. Um, but I want to kind of relate this to God, to Jesus, a little bit. So we look at Luke 10. Now, Jesus had uh, just sent out his disciples into, uh, into all of his, uh, the area, and, and they were going out in twos, and they were casting out demons, and they were uh, evangelizing, and they were telling people about God, and about Jesus and his work, and, and they were doing all these great things, and, and they came back, and they were excited. And they said, um, when they came back, they were, they were telling Jesus that, that you know, it works. Exorcisms work. You know, we were we were casting out demons in your name. We were healing people in your name. And, and Jesus replied to them. He said, "I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the powers of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven." And at this time, Jesus, full of joy. Through the Holy Spirit said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, but this is what you were pleased to be. So Jesus is, is so full of joy in this moment, he has to stop and praise his Father for the work that's happened. And Jesus' joy doesn't, doesn't omit his is sorrow as well. So, in John 11, verse 32, we read, is it up there? Do you have John 11, My father asleep on the piano. Not that boring. <laughs> That's perfect. That's a good start. So when Mary reached the place where Jesus was, okay, so Jesus was really good friends with Mary and, and Martha and, and John, and or sorry, Lazarus, <laughs> not John. Uh, and these were his, his really good friends, and, and he found out that, that John was sick, and they sent for him, he couldn't come at that point. And, and, uh, and when he finally made it there, uh, Lazarus had passed away. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was, she saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
That's not a guilt trip, that's what it is. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked them. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Jesus stopped when he was full of joy to celebrate with his father. Jesus stopped when he was full of sorrow to weep for his dead friend. Um, Jesus, in the same way that David was, he realized that the moments of life are important. And when, when good is happening, he rejoices. When bad is happening, he weeps. So let's go to Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, the scriptures never separate these, by the way. Word or deed, they're always together. Whatever you talk about is what you do. What you do is what you talk about. We don't just talk about something and not do it. We don't just do something and not talk about it. Word or deed are always connected to the scriptures. So, whatever you do in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. When our hearts are alive and aware that there's a battle and we need to be a part of it, there are no secular jobs. You're not just a student. You're not just a plumber. You're a plumber and a student. Exercise demons out of those pipes. You're not just a government employee. Everything that you do, whether it's a word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, give thanks to the Father through him. We are all involved in that. And when your heart is alive and is engaged in this battle, there are things going on all around you at work at home, and there are opportunities for you to pick up your rocks and get into the battle, to weep with your co-worker, to dance for joy for something good that happened to your friend. We all have these moments of friends. So, in Proverbs 4.23, this is the last thing we'll look at, and then we'll think more about that. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Don't let your heart grow hard or timid or ashamed. Because when you start to lose heart, it starts to flatline and you become complacent and bored with life and you miss out on the moments that you're meant to engage in. You miss out on the moments, and the more, sorry, the more moments you miss out on, the more it flatlines, the more your heart dies, the more you become permanently inside. So we need to look for the moments, and when you feel you need to act, don't let those moments pass by. Pick up your rocks and get in the battle. Weep the most, dance the most. That's right. God, we, we acknowledge that there is a war going on around us, that, that evil is always fighting good, and it's everywhere. And God, we also acknowledge that we need you in our lives, we need you in our hearts to help make a difference in this world around us. Help us to not sit on the sidelines and to see what is going on right in front of us and pick up our rocks and get involved. Help us not to let good overcome evil, but help us to overcome evil with good. Because of you working through us and in this world around us. Well, we pray all this in Amen. Amen.